Welcome to Writer's Block Podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Havlin. This is the bonus episode we promised you in our last episode. My honored guest, Mike Sachs, and I break down the late 70s coming-of-age cult hit, Over the Edge. Weird choice, right? But Mike has had a long fascination with the movie, and I loved it when I saw it on his recommendation. So we decided to share our enthusiasm with you, our beloved blockheads. And we're not alone. Kurt Cobain. Of all people, called this his favorite movie, and he even based the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit on the film. Mike and I discussed this and many more details about the movie, including the relatively absurd reason it wasn't widely distributed when it first came out. How I didn't even know this movie existed when it came out is sort of surprising to me because I would have wanted well, to check no, it out. Well, there was no—they buried it. They were afraid that there was going to be riots, like there was supposedly in these other movies, *Wanderers and Warriors*. So, yeah. because of that. And also because of the, the kids look like their ages. They, these weren't 22-year-olds playing 15-year-olds. These right. were 14-year-olds playing 14-year-olds. Yeah, so they thought it would be too inf- too influential on the youth that and the, this these right. events it, might start popping up all around. The, there would be copy. It would be so hot. It would be so... Copycat. Copycat over the edges. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was ridiculous because I think, you know, any kid who's 14 would just look at that um, and I mean, they're not going to go out and start smoking dope because of a movie called Over the Edge. Right? No, they smoked it before they went into the theater. Right. That's what you have to do. That, that's what was recommended. As Mike points out, particularly if you grew up in the 70s, as we both did, this movie, quote, just hits the pleasure center of your brain. And I agree. But it also turned out to be the key to unlocking several potentially unsettling stories regarding my early childhood drug use. Warning, some of the personal revelations you're about to hear may shock you but only if you thought of me as having lived a normal childhood. So let's get to it. This is our special Over the Edge bonus episode. My guest is Mike Sachs. I'm J.R. Havlin. You're part of the writer's block now. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. Or George and John, I should say. So the uh, oh, again, uh, we started. I yeah, know. we started. I don't know where where we'll come in, but we're going. So well, this I, is a special episode. It is a special episode. And I was dosed. I should I should tell them what happened. I was upstairs having coffee in your apartment, and you dropped me some sort of Mickey. And when I, I no. passed out, when I came to, I was no. in this dungeon area. No, that did not happen. It did happen. And you know what? I'm happy it did because it's very cozy down here. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know about that. Let me see if I can find. Don't be so modest. Uh, one of the we we almost met before the first episode, which every all blockheads would have heard by now, hopefully. Um, which is a more straightforward straightforward uh, writer's block episode. The, we promised we were going to talk about this movie, Over the Edge, uh, Matt Dillon's breakout film, mm-hmm. yep. nineteen what year? Seventy nine. Seventy nine, and we didn't get around to it because uh, uh, I was uh, enjoying the conversation. And so now we are going to get around to it in a special bonus episode. Mm-hmm. And um, this is free, right? This is not, you don't have to pay extra for this. No, no, no. You don't even have to pay for the first one. You don't even have to listen to it. No, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. That's part of what lures them in. I would say that's a good deal for them. Yeah, free. Yeah, and Free's you don't good. have to listen. Right. I do that. You have some fascination with this movie that led yes. you to have a screening in Brooklyn that you invited me to. Right, but even before that, I wrote about it for Vice in 2006, I think. It was an oral history. And they had a showing at Lincoln Center. 
This and was the article that you sent me that I read? Yes. Yeah. And to, Which was uh, great interviews, oh, thanks, way, thanks. but it was also like you got a hold of all these people. Even yeah, Matt well, Dillon gave you a little Well, thing. that was an interesting story. The the producer, George Leto, gave Matt Dillon his first role, and it was this movie. And I contacted uh, Matt Dillon asking if he wanted to be involved, and he said no. And I contacted his PR person. He said no. And then I contacted George Leto out in Hollywood. I said, listen, George... Uh, the, the article probably won't run if I don't get Matt Dillon's. Yeah, Matt how Dillon about that, in. right? You got to get Matt Dillon attached. And he said, I'll take care of it. And he called Matt Dillon. And, you know, the next day, Matt Dillon, through his PR person, said, okay, he's willing to do it. And actually, he was very nice. And he told me some really good stories um, about uh, sneaking off the set and heading to a, a porno theater. Do you, you remember this in the in the piece? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, and all the kids—they were just kids that they they biked out of the of the area where they were shooting. Because he's sixteen at the oh, time. Oh no, he's fourteen. Fourteen, and they they end up at this this low rent porno theater in Colorado, as if there's any other type. The movie was shot for California in Colorado. I don't know. That's well, real. No, I mean it was it was the the, oh, I the town the was porno. Set in Col- no the the. the <laughs> I want to know more specifics no, about the porno. I don't that they know. Shot. No, I think it was. Uh, I think it was supposed to be in Colorado, and and but the, the funny no, thing the is, no, mo- the over the edge, over the edge, right? Oh, I, th- I thought it would. No, it's a. It was a development in California. I thought in California. Oh no, it was based on that. Yeah, story yeah, from exactly. California, so but it, it, it didn't took matter where Colorado. it was. Okay. The right. funny thing is, every kid in the movie has a heavy New York accent. There's no yeah. explaining why they're all <laughs> out there. Well, that's yeah, that's fairly typical. So they end up at this movie theater, and the guy, you know, it being the seven, just says, "All right, go on back," and they go on back. And it's a, it's a um, amputee porno. <laughs> Did they know? Yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. And, and do you know who the other guys were that went with him? Yeah, the guy who played Michael Kramer, who was played Michael or uh, Carl, and um, another one of the actors whose name I'm forgetting. The other actor said, "You know, I've seen a lot of stuff since then, but that movie still remains the most haunting." sexual experience he said she was yeah, putting her stuff in places i had no idea existed oh good yeah, lord it's not sexy wow hmm. anyway he gave me that gem and i was forever this is an grateful inauspicious beginning to a podcast oh no, it's very auspicious. bonus episode very, about very over auspicious. the edge yeah wow that's kind of an amazing story and I, I, the the best part of that for me is that they rode their bicycles over there you know that's I just know. classic with the big flags on top you know the, the, yeah the, one uh, of them banana seats out. yeah yeah, it's real. It's real seventies. I mean, if you grew up in that time, it's just like it's, it just hits the pleasure center of your brain. You you just don't see authentic authenticity like that. That's right. We uh, um, we're here in the podcast dungeon uh, where I have a picture of a Van Halen concert up on the mm. wall from nineteen seventy eight, which was my first concert. And I was just talking to Mike about that and telling him that that was my over the edge days and that's why this movie when i finally went ahead i wanted to go out and see it because i'd heard about it mm-hmm. as being uh, um something that was just like a, kind of a better uh representation of this time than a lot of other movies uh, of it of it of its type right so I, I definitely wanted to see it i couldn't make it out to your thing though but then when we talked about doing the podcast and talking about the movie i, I wanted to go ahead and watch it so i did mm-hmm. and uh was just really fascinated by it myself too yeah. So, what was it? Was it the clothing? Was it the music? It was or everything? It was the goody combs. It was the goody hand, oh, plastic yeah. handled well, combs in the what back that is. in the back pocket. Yeah. Just do goody comb G O D D Y. This was heavy plastic. Heavy, very heavy plastic combs with big, plastic. huge teeth because yeah. you had to get through your huge, you know, wavy hair. Right. 
and uh, um, and that also helped with the feathering for the ladies yes, and right. for the gents. Yeah, but always with a comb. Always, always, always with we had in a the comb. back pocket. Yeah. yeah, both of them had the comb sticking out of their back pocket, yeah. and that's that's the kind of authenticity that I that I really enjoyed. And that was the type of thing where it wasn't even like the set director didn't come down and said, "Listen, you have to do this." They just had it in their pockets anyway, and they just yeah. Shot. There was there was a lot of that. I mean, it was shot. It was a period piece in the period. That's right. <laughs> so. Um, Stump. Tell them a little bit. Right, I like the uh, the callback story about. Well, no, I like the story about the, them, you know, uh, riding on the bikes because that's what I used to do. But here's the other thing that I loved about this movie, as far as like remembering my own experiences, was that the place they would go hang out in, Matt Dillon and uh, um, the other guy who played Carl, Michael I, Kramer, Michael Kramer, they would go to, you know, this was a housing development, right, and they were building more houses around so they had all these shells of houses mm -hmm. and that's where they would hang out in one of these half-built houses and that's what i used to do i we'd, we'd ride our bikes up to these houses and that's where we'd play and hang out with the houses that weren't completed yeah I, yeah, that goes on now too, but it goes on now with houses that have been emptied because they were underwater and mortgage. You know, there, there's a lot of places. Yeah, no, I'm talking about houses that were in the I in know. the construction in construction sites. But it's interesting now. There's a lot of empty houses for the other reason. But yeah, yeah but right. I remember that. I remember driving around, and this was during the period when they were just building everywhere. All the farms were being torn down. This is in Maryland. And we would just go to these houses that were half built, and just that was our clubhouse. You know? Yeah, right, right. Right. Now I think today it would you know I don't know of any kids who would who do that or what parents would allow them but we were feral as kids I mean we could do whatever the hell we wanted my parents would say you know I'd say to them I'm going out this is after dinner it's like fine just be back by nine and yeah like, right whatever <laughs> we needed to do we did eleven at the latest eleven right it's a school <laughs> night because get back at eleven well let's talk about the movie um, why don't you start it off and just tell tell a little bit like um, yeah I remember on the podcast yeah, yeah. episode. You had this very quick, great breakdown of right. it. Right. Well, it, was a, it came out in the late 70s, Matt Dillon's first movie, based on a real episode in San Francisco. Uh, it was written about in the San Francisco Examiner, um, or Chronicle. It was called Mouse Packs, something about Mouse Packs Go Wild. It was about kids who lived in the suburbs of San Francisco who were provided with everything except things to have fun with. This is pre-internet, pre-video games, so they were just had nothing to keep them entertained, and they just were... They went sort of wild, according to these journalists. They went over, over the, the edge. edge. Yes, three point ellipses, which they use in the uh, in the trailer to terrible effect. The trailer's horrible. The trailer's but terrible, they, but they don't use. There's no titular line, right? Am I? They, there is no. No, nobody says that, no, and there I is not. and I commend them so much on that. Right, because they very easily could have said, you know what, these kids, they've gone. Over the Edge. Yeah. But they didn't hammer it home, which Thank is good. God. No, it's a good movie. So it's based on a real story. But then the screenwriters took this um, kernel of an idea and they, they, they fleshed it out to take place in the suburbs of Colorado where the kids were provided with um, this, this community and this development, but there was no rec center. There was nothing really for the kids to do. Well, there is that little wreck. Right, but that was built after the fact. It's just a big hut. Center. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> um, it is. It's like a, a biodome. Yes, right. And they that's where they hang out. And they, they, they're really young kids doing drugs, having sex, uh, causing um, damage to the buildings. And in the um, final scene, the parents meet to discuss these problem kids. And the, the kids catch wind of this and show up at the high school and lock them in with bike chains 
and proceed to try to set it on fire by lighting lighting the cars on fire and also shooting the shooting guns straight into the air. Yeah, guns that they get out of the cop car because the cops said don't bring your gun inside right. here. Big mistake. So th- when this movie came out, there's other movies that came out that had supposedly caused riots, like The Wanderers, The Warriors, and uh, the production company. Also both good movies. Great movie. Yeah. And it's sort of cartoonish when you see it now, but at the time it was sort Warriors of, or Wanderers? Uh, both of them a little Both bit. of them, but yeah. mostly Warriors. And so this movie was never really released. It was released for about a week in San Francisco and New York. And then it uh, had a second life on HBO. Um and by showing it on HBO, a whole new generation came to it, including Kurt Cobain, who was obsessed with the movie, and Richard Linklater, who did uh, Days and Confused. Afterwards. But, afterwards. But uh, Kurt Cobain said it was his favorite movie and later based the uh, video of Smells Like Teen Spirit on, on this movie. There you go. What more do you need to know? This is why we're discussing this movie. Right. Look, this is not Godfather. But no. I, I, I want to talk about, since this is a podcast about writing and stuff, I, I want to talk about what really pleased me about this movie was that it was, there was a lot of thought put into it. There is a plan in place for a an entertainment right. kind of complex where they're going to have a roller rink and a bowling mm-hmm. alley and all this kind of stuff. But it turns out that, they're, that not enough people are living there. They, they're not getting the tax dollars that they needed to put this thing together. Right. So they have to sell that land and right. that area to developers who are going to come in and just make a, like a... Mall. A, like, well, it wasn't even a mall. I, th- I thought it was like a, like a fact... Uh, no, it, not a mall, a, um, a business... like Business center. Business like, center. Okay. Yeah. So it's not even something that the kids, the kids can go could to have hang done. out. Right, yeah. right. So when they find that out, now it's sort of like all hope is... Lost and that and they hold that off a little bit. They build up the boredom, but they tease you with something that might come, and then you find out that thing's not coming. And right, then, and it also then, shows you the pressure from the parents' standpoint. They move to this community, yeah. and it's not doing as well as they hoped. So instead of bringing in a roller rink that wouldn't uh, produce any money, tax dollars, they have to then think uh, outside the box and bring in some something that wouldn't provide the kids with any pleasure. So I, I like the fact, too, that they dealt with the adults in a sense. It's like, you know, it's not easy for them either. Yeah. And, and they're struggling with their professions and they're struggling with their community and with their kids. So it's it, it was just very combustible and everything was about to blow. Matt Dillon's character is from the other side of the track. So right. he's in... I mean, they show it a few times where he lives. He lives in like this yeah. sort of like Cold War... Russian, like, like terrible green. looking. It's, it's, yeah. like an, it's like an outdoor apartment, which is strange. Outdoor hallways in Colorado, which they must have shot that in California. But it looked like it was not nearly as nice as the other houses that the other kids lived in. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that was a, that was a townhouse developed community. This was, you know, that was built outside of this thing that already existed, which was kind of where the help lived. Well, that was, you know, I like that fact, too, because basically mm-hmm. these families are leaving cities to get away from kids like Matt Dillon. So even if even in this um, community, uh, they they would have areas that the other kids shouldn't have gone to, you know, quote unquote bad areas. So even within this perfect community, uh, this man-built community, there were places that the other kids looked at down upon and looked at as being on the opposite side of the tracks. They thought they were building this Shangri-La, you know, and it's going to be this beautiful place. Right, it just turned out like any other place. Maybe even worse because they didn't have access to the um, libraries, museums, you know, nightclubs, whatever that uh, urban kids might have had. They were just stuck. They were without cars. They were just, it was like they were on an island and they couldn't get off that island. They had nowhere to go. 
And so, and the, so what, what is the only thing that can possibly happen? Well, they went three-point ellipses over the edge. <laughs> We're going to take a little break and then come back and talk, talk more about the movie, the things we like about it, and what makes it a better movie than just some sort of schlock thing. All right? Yes. I'm with uh, Mike Sachs. We're talking about Over the Edge for some reason, because we want to. Why not? Yeah. First of all, Google Vice Over the Edge and read Mike's article about this movie. It's really interesting, and if nothing else, will act as a mild introduction to the wonderful world of amputee porn. You can thank us later. As for the movie itself, clearly it struck a chord with Mike and I because we grew up in a similar world as these characters. In this case, familiarity bred appreciation. But even if you have no personal memories of the 70s, I can still recommend seeing this movie because it successfully taps into common human emotions in an interesting way. And isn't that sort of the definition of art? Anyway, let's move on. We have so much time and so little to hear. Wait a minute. Strike that. Reverse it. There's there's plenty of reasons that I like this movie, and we were just talking about some of these notes that I had on the movie and stuff. And 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 uh, um, and your article is great, uh, and oh, we'll put a link to that in the awesome. um, in the yeah. podcast. But we were talking about at the very beginning. I thought it was it, it actually <laughs> starts off super. First of all, the trailer is super corny. Don't, don't well, watch it, but don't don't let that mislead you too much. The whole problem, one of the problems with this movie was marketed in, incorrectly. It was the trailer was really cheesy. And the posters made it look like a horror film. Yeah, right. The kids had devil eyes, so it, they didn't. The marketers didn't understand the movie, and they marketed it completely incorrectly. So even if it had open wide, I don't think it would have done well. Right. It was the type of thing that it grows on multiple viewings. So it was a perfect movie to fall in love with on HBO because they showed it all the time. How I didn't even know this movie existed when it came out is sort of surprising to me because. I would have wanted well, there to was no that they buried it. They were afraid that there was going to be riots, like there was supposedly in these other movies, Wanderers and the Warriors. So yeah. because of that, and also because of the the kids looked like their ages. They, these weren't twenty two year olds playing fifteen year olds. These right. were fourteen year olds playing fourteen year olds. Yeah. So they thought it would be too inf- too influential on the youth that and that this these right. events it, it, might start popping up all around. The, there would be copy. It would be so hot. It would be so copycat. Copycat <laughs> over the edges. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was ridiculous because I think you know any kid who's 14 would just look at that um and i mean they're not going to go out and start smoking dope because of a movie called over the edge right? no they smoked it before they went into the theater right that's what you have to do that that's what was recommended but it, it wasn't the type of movie that i don't think influenced anyone beyond the fact that it, you felt for the kids because every kid feels like they're on the outside they're not getting along with their parents there's a lot of boredom and you're a kid and i think it captured that sense of time moving slowly and frustration very well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like better than I thought. Right away, we talked about they have a rec center there, which was a complete afterthought. Clearly, because they have all these nice sort of well, new for the seventies looking hut. townhouses, and there's just this metal kind of dome hut. Yeah, and that's where all the kids would go. And it was in the middle of a like a burnt out field too. Right, so the sun is just baking on yeah. it. And inside, there's one basketball net. One pool table, one ping pong table. Right, and that's the first scene, and the just the things the kids are saying, and they're smoking, and they're saying, "Let's go, you know, smoke some weed. Let's do this." Matt Dillon, actually, the the rec center um, counselor, she is like cool counselor woman. How beautiful was she? Uh huh. And yeah. and she tells, and Matt Dillon's actually drinking a beer, I think. Yeah, she doesn't care. She's like seven. No, but she said, "Get out." 
with the beer. Right, but she's not too strict. Right, right. But then, then the cop comes barreling in looking for drugs. So right away, right. you know, these aren't your, you know, these aren't your friends. These are kids who are on the, but what's interesting is the New York actors, which- They're are, on the edge waiting to go over the, okay, we're going to stop that. Go no, ahead. I'm not going to stop it ever. <laughs> the New York kids actors said that they had never seen anything like these Colorado kids. The Colorado kids were really kind of crazy. They were drinking and drugging. And the New York kids, whom you would think would be a little bit more streetwise, were totally blown away. They had never seen anything like it. So a lot of first experiences for the New York actors when they went out to Colorado. A lot were from the suburbs of New York, not New York City, but they said that they had never seen anything quite Including like that. Including Matt Dillon, although Matt Dillon was a bit of a problem child on his way out there. Well, he was the, he was discovered because he was skipping school. Yeah, right. Someone right. discovered him, a talent scout. They were visiting schools and um, they... Um, came upon this kid who was just skipping school. And then Matt Dillon met with the director and the director said, well, tell me about your parents. And he said, my father's a fucking stockbroker. My mom, my mom don't do shit. And then you're hired. You're hired. Right. You're like, you're our kid. So the, so we said the beginning of the movie is that first scene and they just, that's, that's used to set up the boredom and it's used to great effect and it's quick and everything that everybody says and every shot that happens and everything that they're doing, it all spells it out like in a, in a two minute period. And they're really good at, at explaining a lot throughout this movie in these compact sections and, and not only through natural and organic dialogue, but through action. Absolutely. Everything It's not a long movie, but they pack a lot in it. And it, it, it sort of, it's a good lesson if you're a writer that you don't have to open up with a long dialogue scene to explain who these people are. You can just show a scene and explain a lot about the backstories just by by having a cop running in and the kids looking bored and the kids dressing like this. Right, but that also brings up the Star Wars like influenced well, the very that, beginning of the movie. That was a mistake. They, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, I put it in the article. This is not a great movie, but it's a very good. Good and it also movie. depends on it. I mean, for someone like me who basically grew up like this, it was reminding me of experiences that I had. And Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's a real connect. If you grew up at this time, there's going to be a real connection. But I do think that you can make a connection even if you didn't grow up at this time. But there are certain things with the movie that are annoying, and you were pointing it out. Um, you want to talk about the scroll and there'd be a Star Wars-like scroll that came up. There's a literally like Star Wars-style scroll that comes up and explains that you know, what Mike was talking about earlier, what this was based on. Back in California, there was a, there was a place that, you know, right. the, that where the kids got bored and went over, you know, and didn't have anything to do and took over the, and this is based on a real true story. And it's sort of like that, that's the kind of thing you talk about. Like, you know, maybe they didn't have these outlets back then, but that's the kind of stuff the actors go on Letterman and talk about. You know right. What I mean? But I can understand in the sense that this was a new concept. Um, this was, you know, a teen movie for the seventies, and they might have felt that a lot of people would think, no, this can't be taking place. But I also think it was a way to show that it was a, it was a documentary style film. Yeah, right. It had a documentary feel to it. And by putting up a, um, a little explanation in the beginning, like you would see in a documentary, sort of segued into that realistic type of movie. Right. You know, this was not Close Encounters. This was not fantasy. This was based on reality. I think they wanted to get that across. Now, with that said, it is a little cheesy. But even the lettering is in is in seventies fonts, and that was yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. Well, I mean that that's the font that they had at the time. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. This is not the seventies show font. This is actual seventies yeah. font. Right. <laughs> this is Pac Man, or not even this no, is no like, pre Pac Man. Yeah. This is a, a pong. You know. Yes. Pong like almost a explanation. Pong font. Yeah. 
but not computery, kind of cartoony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember there was one line that I took down within the first 15 minutes. There's one one of the kids, not one of the main kids. He's he's like the third kid, the blonde one that trails around with them too. Well, the mute kid. No, no, the mute oh. kid's older brother. Okay, yeah, the old that guy. The, the mute actor, kid is a is a really interesting character. That too. was a character that Kirk Cobain was obsessed with. The yeah, one that did that, not talk, and because he, he had sense about him too, uh, and he had compassion. His name was Tiger Thompson, and I found everyone in the movie that I wanted to get except this guy. And I actually hired a PI, and um, she found where he lived like twenty years ago. But that was it. That was as far as they could go. So he's no one knows where this guy. So is he's anymore. like the younger brother who trails around with all these guys. Like there's there's three guys in the main pack, and this is one of those guys' younger brother, and he's the younger brother of the third guy. So it's sort of like it's almost you would be like a non-character and then they make him so that he doesn't speak right you know and you don't know if it's because he can't or because he's just some weird little that's kid. what i love no explanation but they still make it work and they make it effective and he comes in later to kind of like he unlocks the door later for them to get out for the adults to get out of the school right he's, he's actually saves the parents because yeah. he sees the the counselor the rec counselor sitting there smoking as the fu- uh, building's about to go up and she asked him very nicely, hey, can you bring me a phone? So he, he stretches out a line. This is obviously pre-cell phone. Yeah. And um, he, he brings he even her. even dials it for her because he can't reach to he, her. Right, exactly. <laughs> and he, he gives her a thumbs up, then runs away and, you know, goes, jumps into a tube or whatever he does. But I, but the fact that he's the one, the mute kid is the one who saved the parents, um, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. It is a character that is not necessary, but the fact that it's in there, it made a big... Um, it, it was a character that people remember. A lot of people, including Kurt Cobain, that was the character they most identify with, the one who would not or could not speak, which I thought was interesting. Too. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. There's, there's kind of, there is a character for everybody in here. There is, And yeah. speaking of which, so then... Um, but it's not like Breakfast oh, Club type characters. No, it? no, no, no. Like, you're the nerd, you're the jock, you're right. the preppy. It's not just all stereotype things. It's just like yeah, these I real think. kind of characters. So, but his brother... His older brother, at one point, they they go into the school now. It's one of the first scenes that where they're actually in school. And um, they're taking a test. And the the Carl, the main kid, asks the other guy, the older brother of the, of the mute kid, um, if he prepared for the test. And he said he prepared for it by taking speed. Speed, right. And then just a minute later, starts kind of like acting a little spacey and says he thinks he took acid by accident. Yeah, I, then, then he's like, they're they're in the middle of the test or something, and he really starts freaking out, and he says, "I think I'm flashing." I'm, yeah, right. Well, I that's think what, I'm flashing. I think and I'm I was flashing. like, "Oh my!" It's just all whoever came up with the idea and wrote it. I just like the idea that it feels like they actually did this stuff. They experienced this stuff. It's not it's not bullshit. It could so easily have been bullshit, but it's not bullshit. Well, he's he, the actor told me that he had never done LSD, so that he was pretending there, but someone on set said you got to use the word flashing. Yeah, sure, of course. Right. So that that did sort of tether it to reality. I mean, yeah. it's like you could see this kid who wasn't even like freaking out per se. He was just kind of pissed off that it wasn't speed, it was at it wasn't uh speed, it was acid. And he had he wasn't prepared for it. Right. Yeah. And I, um, well, one time in high school, when I was in high school. Oh, boy. Yeah. Second, I was probably like ninth ninth grade. I don't like this, where this is going. No, I'm, seventh, eighth, and ninth grades were my over-the-edge period. And I was doing Badass. all kinds of terrible, really? terrible things. Really? I did nothing wrong. Oh, boy. It was, it was uh, I, to I don't that. know, it set up the rest of my life, but it was an inauspicious beginning. But the, uh, um, we used to have a brunch break, like a 15-minute between second and third period. 
where the tough guys could go smoke cigarettes and and yeah, you know the jocks could do push-ups or whatever was going on. And um, is that what they did in the flex time uh, push-up? One day, um, a friend of mine came up and he just said, "Put out your tongue." Oh, Jesus. And I thought he's going to give me a piece of candy or something. And he God, stuck a man. piece of acid on no my tongue. Way. Yeah. And um, and I'd done it. I'd done it before. And I did it after, so we did it, you know. That, was someone said stick out your tongue? Never stick out your tongue. I, you know, who knows? So, and I said, what was that? And he says, it's acid. I, I thought he was kidding. By fourth period, no. I had to get up, walk out of class, and just go to the railroad tracks and walk around for well, the rest smart. of the day. You're heading towards the trains coming at you 100 miles an hour. Mm, yeah, yeah. The, well, the tracks were how we got back and forth to school. I mean, this is literally Jesus. like... this. Like we now would, it's like stand by me. But the way, I, yeah, the way I got to school every day was I would jump the fence of my house onto, uh, you know, onto the railroad tracks. Where'd you grow up, Boys Town? Where was no, this? No, Danville, California, back before it's the Danville that it is now. And we'd I'd jump the jump our fence onto the railroad tracks, walk about a mile, and it went basically right to the school. But would, would trains pass? Yeah, it was a working railroad. See, car. this is a thing that it, we could do whatever the hell we wanted. You yeah, know, it's like crazy. you can't do anything now. Well, You're, maybe in those areas though, it's just harder to kind of keep track. You're going to let your kid go off on a bicycle. You know? Yeah, but now I'm not going to let my kid go off on a bicycle on Fifty Third Street. Would you let let him or her do that where you grew up? Uh, I think there's just less of a choice. Like they're out on the they're out on the street, and you don't pay attention. And either right, they go also, away or they don't. They're, yeah, it's like get to school on your own. It's not like we're going to drop yeah. you off. It's like you got to get to school. Right. So that's your problem: how to get to school. And if it has to be jumping over into railroad tracks, and, and that's part of the path, and that's what you do. Well, but for me, like there a lot of these ex- things brought up these kind of experiences and memories for me that I kind of you know I know all all of them may have been at least slight mistakes. But they were interesting to me. It was an interesting time, and they were interesting experiences. Oh yeah. And what I like about the movies, they don't like overdo them, and when they do them, they do them right. Well, that's the thing too. The director, I think, was twenty nine. So even those, the writers were in their twenties. Everyone was young doing this film, so they knew what they were doing, and they were smart enough to say, "Listen, we don't know much about the current what's going on music wise." They asked the kids, "What what are you listening to?" And they put whatever they were listening to in the movie, which is a fantastic soundtrack. Cheap Trick, Jimi Hendrix, Little Feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Just, of course, like "Mommy's All Right, Daddy's All Right," but they actually use that song to great effect. That's when they first get in the fight with his dad, and then he puts on the headphones. The usual kind of like it's very much like Days and Confused. You go to your bed, put on the headphones, lay back. It's yeah, sort of right. like if he didn't get that scene from that he scene, he did. I think. Yeah. But that was it's a, like I want that to happen in mine because it has to because we all did that. I used to do it on a beanbag right in wow, front of my mom's really? stereo because I didn't have a stereo beanbag? in my I didn't have a stereo in my room. So you just sat on a beanbag and kissed the sky. Yeah, yeah. I just sat on the beanbag and turned on like you know Deep Purple and fucking you know I I went to my room to take a couple of bong hits and then went. Look <laughs> at you, man! I was sitting in my <laughs> With room, big huge cans, reading Hardy Boys, listening to the Barnum soundtrack, the musical. Yeah, not, well, not, not your, a bad. Your brain probably works better than mine. Not right now. really, no. <laughs> I, I interviewed the, the the drummer for Cheap Trick. He's the uh, the Cheap Bunny Trick historian. Carlos. Was he smoking without holding it the whole time you were <laughs> yeah. interviewing him? No, somehow? I did it by phone, but he, he could not have been less interested. I don't really? think he remembered the movie. All right, I, I want to talk about one other line that that stood out. There were a couple, and again, they were just kind of like <laughs> they were so realistic, yeah, and but so natural within the movie, yeah. You know, um, that was what surprised me was that there wasn't more really cheesy dialogue. There was some, but most of it was from the adults and not the kids. Which right, well, the kids improvised. There was one line. I don't know if this is a line you're about to mention, where the the blonde 
haired kid says to his younger mute brother, we got to get home. Mom's in group tonight. Um, and But she made us stuffed peppers. And oh, yeah, the stuffed peppers. Yeah. That, was, the... that was all improvised for this kid. Really? Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is something he, he would have told his real brother in real life, but it really was. Well, a... he loved stuffed pepper night. Well, it's worth getting home. That's how you... He wanted it on film forever, so he just he put it on there, and it really hit home as far as like that's that's an authentic line, right? Well, the ones I was thinking of were one was they're in the half built house, and they're well, first they the girls steal they get a gun. These two girls that are in the movie, they get a gun. We don't even know how they. Oh, they they break into a house. They break into a house. They get a gun, and then um and you know things are elevating right there, and and Richie, who is uh, Matt Dillon, he just grabs the gun from them right away, commandeers it, and. And he says to them, I know a guy, I know a guy could get you 150 bucks for one of these things. Maybe even throw in a couple of tie sticks. Wow. Yeah, that's right. But it's all, it's, it's really naturally said. And it's yeah. just like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Because um, remember, I told you at that concert yeah. of this picture with Van, Van Halen, Halen and the Aerosmith, yeah. I told you that when I was going in, the security guard caught me with my stash. That's right. Well, tell, tell the people, tell the people, tell the listeners what happened with you uh, getting in. How'd you get in with that? Yeah, I was telling Mike about my my uh, over the edge uh, period um, experience at the Van Halen concert and how I was sneaking the weed in for all my friends, my friends and I, and I was fourteen. This is nineteen seventy eight. I, I get to the front and they're t- patting people down uh, for like switchblades or something, and the guy pats me down and gets down to my belt buckle and he says, "What's that?" And I told him it's my belt buckle, and he says, "No, underneath that." And I now I think I'm going to jail. My life is over. And I don't say anything. And he says, is that your stash? And I said, yes. And he said, all right, go ahead. And so like... <laughs> well, the epiphany that care. you told me, which I love, was like you, you looked at him then. He was an adult. You look back, he's just like a 17-year-old kid. Yeah. Working the summer. Just working the summer couldn't job. Couldn't care less about what's in it. Uh, he's checking for weapons. I'm surprised he, he didn't make me give him something. Well, I was going to say, like, give me some of your stash and I'll let you in. He was just, he was a sweet stoner. So that was the tie stick thing. But this, here was a really, like, surprising line. They're, again, they're in this house and there's a brochure for the unfinished development that they're that they're supposedly going to do, but they run out of tax money, they can't finish this development. And the girl that um, uh, that Cor- Carl is with, Corey is her name. She's looking at the thing, and it says on there, it, you can't even read it yourself. But she says, "Hey, what did what's European living mean?" Because I can't remember if you can see it, but clearly it says European living on the on the brochure. And Carl very quickly just says, "Means it's always going to look bombed out like this." Very clever, yeah. Such a good fucking line, well, and somehow believable from a stoner kid. Right, only 30 years past World War II. Yeah. But there's a lot of great details, too. Like, there's, there's a, a little area that had never been fully finished called Strawberry Fields. Yeah, And right. beneath it, someone put Strawberry Fields, and they put Never. Right. So was that, was at the, that was the opening shot. Right, yeah. So it, it was a nice little little dig at, at the 60s where everything was going to be perfect, everything was going to be great. And this is the reality. In the 70s, 10, 12 years later, the feeling of universal love and all that is completely out the window and everyone's for himself. So the strawberry fields is not happening. Even well, as a reference, it's right, not happening. Right. You know, I had an older brother who listened to a lot of music and influenced me a lot, but he was listening to stuff that I wasn't listening to yet. And then as I grew up, I would listen to it and go like, oh, why wasn't I listening to that back then? Because by that time, it was kind of older stuff. So at one point, Richie and Carl are in Richie's mom's car because they steal it to skip town. And 
first of all, Richie tells Carl to get some weed. Well, where am I going to get that? Check the ashtray. She's always got it in the ashtray. So his mom had weed in the ashtray right. and there was some in there. And then he tells Carl to put on some music. And Carl is looking at the tapes. Eight tracks. Were they eight tracks? Eight tracks, yeah. And he says, all, they, all you got is this old shit. Right. And Richie says, put it on anyway. So he sticks in the eight track. And it's Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, right. And that's a great, fun thing for the for the writers, for the directors of this thing to be like, Hendrix is the old shit, but look how good right. it's Right, and it. it was it was 10 years old at that point. Yeah, right. And that was already the old shit. But it was a good point about the mom. The mom knew that Richie smoked, and she had her own stash in there. So he was headed to disaster, even if he hadn't... I'm not going to give away the ending here, but you know that he was doomed from the get-go. And with the other characters, you sort of had a sense that the parents cared more... And uh, they had a chance anyway. Yeah, right, 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 right. Um, and then there's Richie's line, you know, a kid who, a kid, any kid who talks is a dead kid. Well, any kid who tells on another kid is a dead kid. Any, t- any kid who tells on another kid is a dead kid. A dead kid. And the, I think I read about that line in your article. And then I saw the line. And I was like, that's kind of a cheesy line. And it's, a che- it's almost cheesy the way he does it. And then he does it again. He does. He does well, it's it's it a twice. good line. You got to use it twice. I mean, it's the type of movie. It's like a really good drive-in movie. You know, this is not a classic. I don't think it's not going to be rated by Leonard Martin, uh, Malton. Uh, you know, five googly googlies, whatever he does. No, but, not at all. But somebody like Kurt Cobain or somebody. You, it's just it's something that, that influences you, you because it. Yeah, it. It sticks with you. Uh, but also, uh, aside from aside from those personal experiences, that it kind of like it scratched a bunch of itches mm-hmm. um, that I always have. But what sort of itches? Well, I mean, just memory itches. Oh, just, memory you know, itches. Yeah, just kind of like uh, uh, experiences that I had. It's sort of like, oh, yeah. uh, look at him on the bike headed to the construction site. Right. I used to do that all the time. That was fun. Oh, look, he's on acid. Well, I, that's, I, that's an interesting thing. Because <laughs> I used to do that all the time. It a lot fun. of the movies that we grew up with were fantasy. So we, if we were to look at it now, it has no place in our lives. But if we were to look at Over the Edge, we can see them, the type of bikes they rode. We can see what they're saying. We see what they're eating. See what the houses look like, and it does scratch a lot of memory type itches. It has the same effect on me as uh, Dazed and Confused, for those reasons. But I liked it. I kind of liked it more because it was more realistic. Well, it was in the time. But looking back now, Dazed and Confused was only fifteen years uh, after the fact. What's amazing, though, is the difference between ninety-one and seventy-six, when it took place and when it was it was produced. The movie it's now been twenty some four years. I mean, how long has it been since that movie has come out? Days and confused. Yeah, so yeah. the distance between when it came out and now is longer than it was when it was. Oh, took place. yeah, right, right. You know what I mean? It's, right, now yeah. it's like a real. And you're still watching it. And, and still watching it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this was fun, man. Thanks. It, it was, was fun. fun to come down to your dungeon and play the drums, play the Roland V drums, they, killing he, it on the Roland a V drums. Kick ass set over here that I was I was fooling around with. I used to play the drums as a kid. And I uh, haven't played in a long time, but that was fun. And now you get to come down here and play. Sarah Papillardo also played and came down and played the V-Drums. Really? Yeah. Any guest, any guest of the podcast is a guest of well, the V-Drums. come on down to this dungeon. It's not as scary as you might think. No. There's a window. There's one window. There's one And toilet. you know there's safety on the other side of that door because well, they've been grinding away, on. putting things on. It's like... I don't know if it's I ever like, get you out know, of here. I, I feel like every time I look at that door, I feel like I'm watching the scene in uh, um, in Holy Grail where they're looking at the forest and there's just all these weird sounds coming from when they're <laughs> building the big rabbit. No, that's from my stomach, actually. With the sounds <laughs> of growlings and stuff. 
All right, uh, Mike Zach, thanks very much thanks. for taking the trip out here and, oh, and no talking problem. about Over the Edge. Go see Over the Edge. Rent it. Pay for buy it. Don't it be for an God's asshole. Sakes. Don't be an cheap asshole. asshole? Yeah. Buy it. Come on. Uh, I think I'm going to go buy it anyway myself right now. You I'll need get... it. You need it in your collection. Uh, check it out and let let me know on uh, on on the Twitter what you what you think of it. Yeah, um, I'd like to know too. Get in touch. Yeah, uh, Mike Zach, thanks very much. Say goodnight. Thank you. Good night, Mike. That's it. The Over the Edge bonus episode is in the bag. Thank you, Mike Sachs. Hope you liked it. Mike and I sure had fun. And look for a brand new episode coming this Wednesday, the 4th, with Daily Show correspondent Hassan Minaj, who tells me all about how he put together his one-man show, Homecoming King, which is fantastic, currently running at the Cherry Lane Theater right here in New York City. So go see it and then hear all about it, or vice versa. That'll work, too. Until then, say goodnight, blockheads. <laughs>